Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Sunbury Motors, North 4th Street in Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. Welcome back. Great to have you with us here in the second hour of the show. It's been fun so far. Thanks to Ricky Ricardo, Spanish language play by play voice of the Philadelphia Eagles, who had one of the great calls and great moments of this particular week. And it was our play-by-play call the day on Monday in conjunction with what Merrill Reese did. Neil Riddell, by the way, in just a few moments. Now, today's play-by-play call the day. It's a series of them. A career-high 30 last night for Zion Williamson and Duke's win over Wake Forest. Play the number one team. It's been the Blue Devils. First two for Zion Williamson. Yes, you don't connect from three, but it puts you in a pristine offensive rebounding opportunity for Smart to give you two. Williamson hits the three. To have dissension amongst the team with so many stars, Duke doesn't battle that. It allows them to succeed. And oh yeah, guys like that too. Well, when you can score on one dribble that easily, the other way. Sixth block of the night for Duke. Williamson turns it into a dunk. But again, just watch Trey Jones. When you got a point guard like this, it can make your team special. Sees the defense, reads the defense, understands Childress is not going to elevate with a guy like Williamson. Heck, Mike, who is going to elevate? There won't be because he's outstanding. I mean, he is a terrific basketball player. He has a chance to be a great pro. We'll find out down the road. But Zion Williamson had a career high 30 last night. That probably will not end up being his career high along the way have many where he'll clear the 30-point barrier. All right, a couple quick notes for you, and then uh, Neil Riddell in a few moments. Uh, The deadline for the uh, declaring for the NFL draft is going to be next 15th, so that's the last day you can declare for it. As we mentioned, five uh, Nittany lines have declared, but there are also the 11 early entries. And with that, we bring in Neil Riddell from the Altoona Mirror. Neil, welcome. It's great to have you with us on the show. To you as well, Steve. Thank you. Uh, I want to start with Kevin Givens. You would know the situation better than I do. Football aside, what kind of family background does he have? And would would this be a case where he would certainly be helping his family out by going to the professional ranks? Well, I guess that depends, Steve. I mean, uh, if it all comes through through for him, I hope he's right. you know, I think that you know it's easy for it's easy for a lot of people to say, well, you know, why is he leaving? We don't know the the uh, you know what what people's personal background is. I'm, I'm you know, I think he, Kevin has had his challenges, uh, but I think Penn State did a really good job to get him to this point. Um, it kind of began to circulate, you know, probably within the past few couple, three, four weeks, that maybe that maybe he was considering this, and I think it speaks to what James mentioned at uh, at the December fourteenth press conference about how agents can now talk to these kids. I mean, that's been in place for about five years, and um, you know, the the uh, the schools, the NCAA couldn't police it, and so it's sort of open season. And that's probably what happened. There was some temptation, and um, 
Kevin played, I guess, you know, he, he improved, I think, as it went on, for sure. Uh, I think a lot of us felt he could benefit from one more year, may, mm-hmm. may play himself up into a higher pick, but who knows? Uh, maybe maybe he's the kind of kid that can go to the combine if you can run fast enough or jump high enough, or in his case, lift the kind of weight that he does. Um, you know, hopefully his dreams can come through that way. Uh, it's interesting because Penn State has had players go early to the, to the draft. Saquon Barkley, Allen Robinson, Chris Godwin, uh, I mean, LeVar Arrington. I mean, you can go through a long list all the way back to Mike Munchak. But it's always been singular cases. A guy left. Oh, gee, okay, how do you replace Godwin? Oh, gee, Robinson left. How do you replace Robinson? It's the first time it's ever happened where five guys have left at once. Is that part of the shock system, in your opinion, for Penn State fans? I think so. Um, you know, like you know, it used to be that that if you were going to be a first uh, first round draft pick, you know, everybody wished you well. I mean, I remember Kajana Carter was pretty much in tears, did not want to go. But you don't right. really have a choice uh, yeah. with that kind of life generational money, uh, life changing money for. So, but I, I think that to me, um, some of these kids, it was understandable. Uh, you know, Sharif Miller, people had the perception he was going to leave Miles with, you know, running backs can only take so many hits. McGovern is rated super high. Uh, but then when Bates left and then when Givens left, it began to really uh, kind of open the floodgates. Uh, I thought, busy day of news the day after the bowl game. We're not used to that uh, with a dismissal of receivers coach, too. But. You know, I think that the the fact that there's five is a little bit uh, alarming. Um, maybe case by case basis, you can understand each, but the collectively, it makes it look like, geez, uh, they have some real replacement work to do. Yeah, and what's interesting is that uh, you know, I believe all five would benefit and become better football players by staying another year. Okay, so that said. But that's not the reality of the real world, because also something has to be factored into this as well. By waiting another year, there's also going to be a lot of of young players next year ending the draft, and they may not improve their draft position even though they're a better player. Yeah, and we don't know yet whether this is it, whether there's maybe another kid or two uh, that's going to come out. I mean, there were four, and then Sanders took an extra day, so maybe there's kids that are still mulling is it is it january 5th is that the day steve do you know that's the 14th i think okay yeah yeah because remember uh, they they can't do anything about this until after the national championship game for example they expect four to six alabama players come out but they don't they're not going to declare before the game just as the penn state kids didn't right yeah yeah, I think it is unusual. Kind of makes me wonder um, that what we're dealing with in college football now is a little more impatience, you know, with the, the size of contracts that are out there. Um, and there's no let up for these kids. And I, and I think you're starting to see that, uh, that uh, it's like they, they, they're hardly ever off. I mean, from. Uh, you know, I, I think they flew back right after the game, right? Yeah, they did. 
So I, I don't know. I, I just kind of wonder whether everyone needs to take stock of where the sport is right now. And I don't just mean Penn State. You're going to play a national championship game tomorrow in Santa Clara, and already they're talking about a lot of some empty seats because of proximity, um, repetitiveness of, of uh, the entrance. So um, I don't know. I think this is kind of, you know, part and parcel of where we are. I think some of the kids are anxious to kind of get on with it, to see if they're good enough, to see if they can get paid, whether it's in the first contract, the second contract, or whether it's in the NFL or a different league. Uh, it seems the kids are anxious. Right, no, they're very anxious. As for leaving after the game, players had the option, you know, if they want, you know, it's their free time. The others went back to state college so they can get the rest of the time off before school began on Monday. So, I mean, there is there is some time off, and there was time off for them during Christmas, too, because they all spent uh, Christmas at home. Right. Well, I'm just talking about big picture, though. You know, yeah. years ago, the kids could go home in the summer. Um, there was way more freedom than it seems that a lot of these programs have now. Well, it, everything's. It seems like it's a three sixty five thing in a exactly. lot of ways. Exactly. Uh, and you know, it, it, it used, I'll give you an example. Uh, you and I both know Neil that you'd go to training camp and they'd have two days, and essentially that's where, even though you did some working out in the off season, that's where they got in shape. Well, today you'd better walk into the first day of camp completely in shape because they're not doing conditioning; they're going right to work. Yeah. Hey, Steve, you might know, uh, maybe it's even better off air, I'm just not sure what the process is for some of these kids that do declare. Okay, uh, classes start, what, Monday? Yes, they start Monday. What happens to the kids that have now declared? Pretty much clear your stuff out. Um, Some of them I know went to maybe some training sites, possibly directly from the bowl game. Are you? I'm guessing your your training table privileges are gone. What happens? You know? Yeah, training table privileges would be gone, uh, but you would still have access to the Penn State weight room. Uh, You can have access to to Dwight Galt and his staff and things like that. You know, they can. You can get an auxiliary locker there. Uh, You know, you probably get to keep your old locker for a while. But remember. I think they're going to be like ten or eleven early entries, right? Uh, that doesn't, you know, so they're going to need locker space as well. But you still have access to the facilities here and so forth. But when it comes to training table and things like that, you are now on your own. You have to take whatever money you have, and it's up to you to buy your meals. It's up to you to now, now, now. I'm sure these guys, through depending on their agent, would be getting an advance to then help them with training costs and things like that. See, this is where we talk about players getting paid on the college level, you know, between the coaching and the strength and conditioning coach and the speed coach and the training table and the nutritionist and the sports performance guy. They're getting all of that in their scholarship as they go through, and I think sometimes that's forgotten. And you're also getting a heck of a lot of structure, which a lot of the kids need. So, hey, hopefully, as you say, a lot of these kids would have benefited from another year. Let's see if any of them, how high any of them go. Amani might go high, but he was due to due to uh, his eligibilities out, so uh, or up. So he uh, he may be the highest of the picks. Yeah, he probably. You know what? He very well might be. I mean, we'll find out, and we'll see how they combine out. Um, uh, very quickly, Neil, what was what's your assessment now? Obviously, they've got to move forward from this. 
And if you're, you know, and the really good programs uh, are deep enough where, like, for example, Mike Miranda, it's probably his time to start playing anyway. But how do you view this, and how do you view where Penn State is in 2019, at least initially? Well, I think the big thing, even if all these kids stayed, the big thing is that I think they got to figure out the quarterback. I mean, this right. guy left his heart and soul <laughs> and, uh, and part of his foot. Uh, you know, he just gave them everything in, in Trace McSorley. So, I mean, how many games that he willed them, uh, if not to victory, at least to be in. Um, so I think that's where some of it starts. But now with the offensive line, and, and it, is the defections complete? Uh, my first thought is, geez, the, the Simpson kid from Holidaysburg, who I know was invited to walk on, but he played well against Maryland last year. Yeah. Should he have hung around? I don't know. I mean, there's more opportunity. He's a smart kid. And so anyway, um, they're going to have to replenish, I would say, starting on the offensive line. Defensively, I thought they were pretty impressive. Parsons played terrific, I thought, the other day. And uh, it looks like they have enough that they should be good on defense. Um, you know, the running back, Slade, I think were, a lot of the people were anxious. They were impressed with them to see him even more. Um, receivers, uh, there seems to be young talent that supplanted even the uh, older guys as it went along. Tight end looks like a great position right now. But, uh, you know, hey, that schedule's not getting any easier. So, no. you know, when you lose your leader and you're coming off, just, you know, to me this year, Steve, I don't know, I felt that they lost at least two games when they were the better team. And yeah. that would be uh, in the Citrus Bowl. Although I give Kentucky credit, man, they came to play. Their their stars stayed there, and they wanted to make history, and, and they sure did. Uh, I I got to give them credit. But Michigan State, Penn State, let get away, and they outplayed Ohio State uh, long enough to win yeah. the game. Uh, so I think there's some frustration that needs to be, um, you know, kind of moved past as they get to another year. You and I have done this a long time, uh, so this this will be off the beaten path for a moment. What do you enjoy about covering sports today, and what's the part about sports that you don't enjoy that you know that there's a part of you says you know in the old days you felt like it was handled better? Wow, that's probably a whole separate show. <laughs> yeah, probably, and that probably is. Um, you know. I think that uh, I think it was great that we had access to Sandy Barber down there, and uh, that was uh, gave us some good news. I, I think that at times um, the access has tightened up some, you know, at least at the site. Uh, we were very spoiled by Joe the morning after. Got a lot of information after, you know, you got uh, some more raw emotion from the game. You were able to put closure uh, on the season, look ahead. It was kind of an uplifting, I thought it was the best press conference of the year, win or lose. Um, But, you know, I've moved past that. Now you're going to the next day, where boom! All of a sudden, the next day after the bowl game, there's a lot of there's a lot of activity. There's changes. There's defections. There's um, but I, but I think there's such an emphasis on the recruiting and the um, 
and the younger players. Not even guys necessarily coming in, but guys being offered um, in 2020 and 2021. I think those are, uh, I'm more interested once they get here. Uh, but I know there's a big culture, uh, particularly with all these websites, that, um, that that's uh, been prioritized. So, um, you know, I, I would say those couple things. I think, you know, James and Bill O'Brien before him were, were good to deal with. They're, they're, James also meets the media briefly on um, Wednesdays in addition to Tuesdays. I'd be curious your feelings on the talk show. I thought it was a very valued uh, informational tool, Um, you know, when there was more interaction with the callers once upon a time. I thought that was a great showcase for uh, Joe's personality and also opened up uh, to the whole state to be able to ask unfiltered questions, Uh, not not, uh, rude questions, but just more so than the scripted, uh, I just enjoyed that uh, as kind of a must-listen, you know, years ago. Uh, but, you know, then people say, well, you can't move on. You, <laughs> you're you only looking back, and I'm trying right. not to do that. No, no, I... no. But you know, let me the, on the talk show part, that actually wasn't anybody's decision. That was a Learfield decision. They had started doing that more and more at other schools where they weren't taking calls. I think logistically, I think it might be easier for them. Sometimes there are other reasons for it, because I, too, was one that enjoyed hearing the interaction with the calls. But it really is a decision that was out of our hands. <laughs> well, I mean, so be it. I'm just talking about the, yeah. what the uh, the end product uh, yeah, I agree. is. When you talk about the, the week-long coverage, because we're all going right. hard, we all have uh, a routine that we, uh, we kind of follow uh, in that regard. But, hey, there's still tremendous interest in the program. I feel, uh, I think a lot of us that that are, have been done it for a long time feel fortunate, uh, you know, particularly in changing media climates, uh, still fortunate to be able to be there, and there's so much interest. I, I've always felt you can't overcover Penn State football, and we've tried to approach it that right. way, and I yep. think it's it's uh, pretty well stayed that way. Yeah, and I, and I agree with, uh, look, there's no doubt that recruiting's the lifeblood of it. There's no doubt about that. I mean, but at the same time, this is where I've been bailed out because I get paid by Penn State. It's a violation for me to talk about it, so it bails me out from talking about it. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's because good. I, well, no, because I can't follow all these guys. Can you? No. No, but there are people that do, and I do think right. that's important. You have to satisfy that that thirst. I agree with that. I agree with exactly what you're saying, that they are, and they do a great job with it. I'm really glad I don't have to do it, though. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> I mean, and I'm like you. Once they get here and I see them work against comparable competition, then I get a pretty good evaluation of where they are. Yeah, um, so the rest of it would some of there would be uh, you know kind of nitpicky type of things of certain styles. People did it one way versus another way. Uh, I will say this as far as the media, um, I think that the increasing number of night games is very challenging, particularly for the print media. Um, 
you know, Friday night games where yes. you're colliding with high school football, yes. and we try to put together, you know, at least three full pages uh, of Penn State football displayed nicely. Those are challenges, but um, hey, you know, television uh, drives that. Um, there'll be another one this year at Maryland, which I think will really help Maryland. Uh, yeah. So, uh, hey, you know, you got to be flexible enough, right, Steve? Yeah, you do. I mean, you do. The TV dictate. I'm going to do a game next Thursday at Nebraska at nine o'clock at night. Yeah, right. Because and, TV uh, says and then it's get on nine a plane, o'clock. Right. Yeah, then get on a plane and come back. And you know what? Uh, you know, when it comes to doing the job, I'm having the time of my life. So really, there are no complaints. <laughs> Exactly. You still enjoy it. But, you know, it's definitely a max effort. Um, you know, all the media leaves, the, the the stadiums are dark. You're hoping to be able to get out on the road that you're not locked in somewhere. Uh, but <laughs> yeah. it, it is a max effort. But you know what? Most of the guys that I think, um, and you've had them all on your show, uh, you know, we all still enjoy it, and we count ourselves fortunate to, to be able to write about a product that, that many people care about. Great to call you, friend. Appreciate it very much, Neil. Thank you, Steve. Enjoy the basketball season. Yep. We're doing the best we can. Thanks. All right. Take care. Neil Wardell, Altoona Mirror. Final half hour coming up on News Radio 1070 WKOK, brought to you by Sunbury Motors. When it comes to car buying, there's the other guy's way, and then there's the SMC way. The other guys force you into a vehicle you really don't want. The Sunbury Motors way lets you take the time you need to browse, ask questions, and take the test drive and think on it. For over 100 years, the Mertz family and all their employees have made your experience the most pleasant one you'll ever have. The other guys won't offer you the best price for your trade, no matter how much they say they will. The SMC way is their promise to provide you with the most money the market shows your vehicle's worth. The SMC way is to offer you all applicable factory rebates on new vehicles and generous discounts. Looking for a pre-owned vehicle? The SMC way checks each vehicle in a 200-mile radius to determine the lowest price, then beat it. It's the lowest price promise, just part of the SMC way. The choice is up to you. The other guy's way or the SMC way? The SMC way wins every time. Sunbury Motors Company in the North 4th Street Auto Plaza, Sunbury, and at sunburymotors.com. Selling more cars and satisfying more customers for over 100 years. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. Welcome back. Final half hour of the show. Great to have you with us. Our thanks to Ricky Ricardo, Spanish language Eagles play-by-play voice who has had a memorable week with his no senor, no senor, no senor on the Field goal by Cody Parkey that hit the upright, then went off the crossbar, and the Eagles will take on the Saints coming up Sunday. That game will be heard on Eagle 107 with Merrill Reese. Merrill Reese's call was also outstanding as well. Our thanks to Neil Riddell who joined us in the previous half hour. Uh, great to have him on as always. Neil, of course, with the Altoona Mirror. Penn State basketball coming up tomorrow night. Nittany Lions will play in Lincoln against Nebraska. Tomorrow night's tip-off is set for 9 o'clock. 8.30 will be the airtime. And uh, we'll do tomorrow's show, obviously, from Lincoln as I have to hit the road tonight to go there. 
Uh, it's going to be interesting. I think the the just the travel part. Somebody told me that the winds aloft were like ninety two miles an hour. So obviously, getting out there tonight's going to be a slow go. But getting back after the game actually may be pretty quick. We'll find out because we're not going to get back here until maybe three in the morning on Friday. Uh, Merrill Reese was on the show yesterday. He was on the three thirty five half hour. Now, for those of you who uh, were out and about and you had a chance to hear him yesterday, great. But there are also plenty of you that are probably just getting out of work now. You're out there at 11 and 15. You're driving in Turbotville. You're driving in Danville right now. You probably didn't get a chance to hear him. Uh, I know it's on the podcast, but we wanted to revisit. The outstanding play-by-play voice, the legendary, the Hall of Famer, Merrill Reese of the Philadelphia Eagles. Hi, Steve. Same to you. All right, great call, at, at, especially at the end of that game on Saturday. I mean, uh, on Sunday, when you look at the situation, it, they escape and get out of there, and go to New Orleans. What was the feeling watching the flight of that ball, and then when it hit? <laughs> it was kind of it was it was weird. It was a surprise, and yet I I had a funny feeling. After he took the kick that didn't mean anything, you know, with the timeout, he just kind of stroked it through. I had a funny feeling because Cody is a is a terrific guy, and uh, he's he's got all the physical talent in the world, but he had a bad year. I mean, he missed seven field goals and three extra points this year, and he has had an affinity for hitting that upright. And so there was a there was a thought in my mind that you know what, forty three yards is not automatic, but yet when it happened. It was just, oh my goodness, this team is going another week. <laughs> and he not only hit the upright, but then he hit the crossbar. I mean, it had the, had a double drama to it. Yeah, they call it the double doink. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. But you know what? You... Here's the thing. I wasn't focused as much on that uh, because all I, I've learned a long time ago, uh, and we're looking from the slides, so there's parallax. Just concentrate on one thing, the official standing right under the crossbar. Exactly. When, when his arms crossed in a downward direction, I just yelled, it's no good. It's no good. You know, the Eagles right. win. And then I went and reconstructed the, the double doink. Yeah, exactly. You know, I did the same. I did the same way. You wait for the official to tell you, then you know for sure that that's exactly what it is. The yep. Eagles have made this stretch run, Merrill. I want to start with the secondary. And and the overall job that Jim Schwartz has done, I mean, I I, I wouldn't doubt they had name tags on the helmets like five six weeks ago with some of these guys. I my name is. Uh, how you amazing know, is that, that part? That's a good ben? point, Steve. People said the Eagles had to learn the defense. They had to learn each other's names first. But you know, I was <laughs> uh, this morning. They had the coordinators, and Jim Schwartz spoke. And one of the things he talked about was that uh, before the last New Orleans game. Uh, the personnel department told him they just picked up somebody off of waivers who they thought might play and, and might fit in, and they were going to bring him in, and his name was Cravon LeBlanc. And, yeah. and Jim Schwartz said he never heard of him before. And actually, when I heard his name, I thought he was a French, a French chef. <laughs> <laughs> but, but he said, you know what? He has made a difference. I'm not saying that he's the reason that the the defense has totally come together, but he was an important piece because they couldn't scrape together four playable pieces week after week, 
And he came in and did a very good job. And then, of course, you see the, the growth and the, uh, the development of Avante Maddox. What a, an outstanding young player he is. And Malcolm Jenkins, I think, has played every snap this season. And Corey Graham's been okay. And it's you know that's an area where communication is needed. That's an area. I mean, it, and that's something that I find amazing that you can plug in spots like that and have them so well prepared. Because you and I both know, Merrill, they've got at least either through hand signals or vocally, they've got to communicate with each other as to what they're doing back there. Yeah, and, and Jim does a good job, and Corey Unlund, the secondary coach, they all do a good job uh, of, of putting them together. They're they're just good coaches, and they're. They're players who are willing to work. But, you know, we can talk about the secondary, and I, I've i been thinking about this for a while uh, when people talk about uh, what what is working for this team right now. I go back to Super Bowl thirty nine, the Eagles and the Patriots, and to this day I hear people criticizing Donovan McNabb. Donovan McNabb didn't move them quickly. There wasn't a sense of urgency at the end. He threw an interception. He choked. He threw up, this and that. And, you know, I've probably seen the coaching tape, we call it the end zone offense or the end zone defense, ten times of of that game. And each time I came to the same conclusion, and that was Donovan McNabb was rushed off his feet time and time again, and Tom Brady could have read War and Peace and looked (laughs) downfield and found Deion Branch and it was it was the lines. It was the big guys. Yeah. And if you look at this Eagles team, the key to what they are doing right now on offense and defense, yeah. and this this takes nothing away from Nick Foles, or it takes nothing away from right. the secondary people or the linebackers. It all begins with the offensive and defensive lines, and that's where this team is solid. Uh, Tim Jernigan came back into the lineup, and that yeah. was a big plus because. They anticipated him coming into the season. That's why they let go of Bo Allen, who was a good rotation guy. But once he came back in and was able to get healthier and healthier, that made a difference. And the the play by Fletcher Cox has been all-world this year. And Michael Bennett has helped him. And they bring in uh, Chris Long from time to time, who's a, a prolific pass rusher. I mean, they've, they've really done something. And they, they lost the guy along the way who they were counting on last year's first-round draft choice, um, Derek Barnett. He's a good player, but he yeah. wasn't able to play. But once they got that, that that group going in the middle, I mean, and they got some rotation guys to help. Haloti Nada came in and, and was a space-taker who helped. And, and of course, the offensive line, uh, they've, they've had Wisniewski in there for a while. They went back to see Amalo this week because he's healthy again. But they're a, they're a really, really good offensive line. Yeah, no, they're winning in the trenches. And I thought Jernigan, the domino was a great Fletcher Cox, became even a little bit better because Jernigan mm-hmm. now was, it was occupying somebody and that now they couldn't concentrate totally on him. Is that fair? Yeah, it's very fair. It's very fair. Yeah. He's He has helped. But Fletcher Cox is a force. He, he's really yeah. that good. Yeah, no, he is that good. I know you brought up Nick Foles. I'll get to him in a second. But getting you know, Golden Tate had to be brought into the mix. What has he meant, and also what has the return of Alshon Jeffrey meant? Well, let's let's take your first question first, and I'll tell you how stupid I must be thought of at, in in Chicago 
because I was a guest on their pregame radio show before the game, and they asked me the same question. I said, they, they said, what has Golden Tate meant to this team? And I said, to, to be honest with you, he took, he plays basically the same position as Nelson Aguilar, who, who plays extremely well. And he really, he had one touchdown, but he, he really hasn't made a difference since they brought him in. I mean, he's not that he's dropped passes or anything, but he, right. he, he really hasn't been making a big, he hasn't been a major factor in this offense. So what does he do? He, he catches the touchdown pass that, <laughs> that gives them the lead at the end and, and made another great play where, I don't know how he caught the ball. Mike Quick, there was a, there was a DB with a, a beat on him, and Nick hung it up there a little bit. Mike said that he would have alligator armed it. He didn't want any parts of it, <laughs> but, but Tate went and got it and took the blow. But the, we, we saw what he can mean to a team. He's, he's been fine. Uh, and, and in that game, he was a significant difference maker. And as far as Alshon Jeffrey is concerned, boy, he's good. I mean, he is good. I mean, it didn't matter if he was playing against his old team or the New England Patriots or whoever you were playing. This guy has the ability to high point a football. And that's something that Nick Foles has done so well. You look at quarterbacks like I always, one of the guys who has done it for years is Aaron Rodgers, where he goes downfield right. to a receiver and puts it up there. And the guy doesn't have to be open, but he gives that guy, it used to be Jordy Nelson, a chance to go up over the DB and make the catch. And we've seen, how many times have we seen Brady put it up in the direction of Gronkowski and right. Gronk goes up and just out-muscles somebody for the ball? That's what Nick Foles has done. He continues to give Alshon Jeffrey a chance to get the ball, and Alshon Jeffrey high points it as well as anybody, and he has the strongest hands. He just he just snatches it out of the air and nobody can knock it free. Uh, I know when it comes to Nick Foles, I think what I've said here the last couple of days has been, you know what, that is to me the perfect example of the pro's pro. Um, you know, keeps his mouth shut. Now, I know he hasn't taken a vow of poverty. Keeps his mouth shut, knows what his job is, supports the other guy. When the chance is there for him, he steps in and plays at a high level. You've been watching him. Merrill, what makes him that consummate pro's pro to you? Well, he's been around for a while. He's savvy. But, you know, certain guys, I mean, we, we saw them back maybe in high school. There was always somebody you saw, whether it was on the basketball team or football team, who who just seemed impervious to pressure. And right. the, the, you get in a big moment of a game, and, and that's the guy who takes the, the jump shot as the clock is winding down or stands there calmly on the foul line, and you're down by one, and he sinks two to win it. And that's that's the kind of guy Nick Foles is. He was a basketball player, by the way, back in high school. A very, very good one. But that's that's what he is. He's poised. He's poised. There's nothing skittish about him. I remember his first year under Andy Reid, and the game was on the line in just a matter of seconds, and they were inside the Tampa Bay five-yard line. And he pretty much duplicated, or this time he duplicated the play that he made then, which was a roll right in the pass to Jeremy Macklin. It was a win or lose situation. And he's just, he just comes through for you. He just has that look in his eyes, and pressure doesn't bother him. Teams I wish I stopped that way standing over a two foot putt. 
Oh, Merrill, you and me both. <laughs> I walk up there, I'm like, the hole's not big enough. That's right. I, I go, I hope it goes in. <laughs> exactly right. That's I'm like, and then when it goes in, you're like, I had that. <laughs> All the way. The, 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 the pro that I go to for lessons said to me, that was a wishy putt. Yeah, it was a wishy putt. He said, you can't stand there wishing. You get up there, you stand over it, you look at the hole, you look at the hole, and you stroke it. You don't wish. And, and I, get, I get a little wishy on two-foot putts. But Nick Foles, it doesn't matter if it's a five-yard pass or a, or a 40-yard bomb. Nick Foles is the same guy, and he's supremely confident. Not cocky, but confident. Exactly. I mean, confidence without arrogance. Uh, the teams change. And you and I have just talked here for the last few minutes about how the Eagles have changed. You're going to play the Saints. How much have the Saints changed in six weeks, in your opinion? Mm. That's a very, very good question, because I don't know that they've changed at all. I don't know that they're not still that terrific team, maybe the best team in the NFL this year. I think that if there is a change in their performance over this past six weeks, it may have been a lack of urgency because they were so far ahead of everybody and they were they were on cruise control. But these are the playoffs, and there is no such as thing to cruise control because one slip up and you're out of the tournament. So I don't I don't buy the theory that they're not as good as they were back on November 18th. I do, however, believe that this Eagles team is a lot better than they were at that time. And we'll find out if it's enough of a gap closer to move on to the next round and survive in advance. You know, Merrill, perhaps unkindly during that Saints game, the first time I came out of a commercial break and I said it was in the third quarter, and I said, Steve, I said, um, during the timeout, the Saints went over to the sideline and wanted to find out if this counted as their bye week. <laughs> Well, I can assure you, the Eagles never showed up. Right, never showed up. I can assure you, you will not use that line this week. I just got a funny feeling about it. (laughs) I I think it's going to be a competitive game. I do. I do too, Merrill. You know, it's always a pleasure. Great respect, my friend. Keep it rolling. Thank you. It's it's great being on with you, Steve. And whenever I have an opportunity, I I listen to you with the Nittany Lions, and you just do a terrific, terrific job. Thank you, my friend. Appreciate it. With great respect to the Hall of Famer, Merrill Reese. Thank you, Merrill. See you, Steve. The great Merrill Reese. And he'll team with Mike Quick, Howard Eskin on the sideline. On Eagle 107 coming up Sunday when the Eagles take on the Saints. Quite a playoff weekend because you've got the Rams taking on the Cowboys. That's the primetime game on Saturday. You've also got Kansas City uh, in action against the Colts on Saturday. Then Sunday, it's the Patriots and the Chargers in Foxborough. Weather might be an issue there. We'll see. There's this uh, storm moving in this weekend, which may actually go south and not affect Foxborough. Also, might go south and not affect us either. And... uh Then the uh, final game will be the Eagles and the Saints coming up on Sunday. That is the late afternoon game. Coaching hires. Uh, Cliff Kingsbury is now the new head coach of the Arizona Cardinals. We'll get to that in a moment. Looks like Bruce Arians is going to take over with the 
Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Arians, I guess, is a big Jameis Winston guy, which really helps. Uh, Mike McCarthy uh, is interested in only one job, according to Adam Schefter, and that's the New York Jets. I mean, I think some people thought that it was going to be um, the Cleveland Browns he was interested in. Said he wants the Jets job above all. I think part of that is Sam Darnold being involved in that. And also, uh, former Nittany Lion, former state high player, Matt Rule is supposedly interested in the Jets as well. The Broncos have it down to two guys. Vic Fangio of uh, the Bears, their defensive coordinator, and Mike Munchak of the Pittsburgh Steelers are supposedly the final two for the Denver Broncos job. There are still other jobs available. Still the Dolphins job is open, the Bengals job is open, and obviously the Browns job is open as well. I mentioned earlier in the show when Neil Riddell was on that the deadline for the NFL draft declaration is next Tuesday. Uh, And then after that, you're locked in as to whether you're going to go to school uh, next year or whether you're going to uh, end up going to the NFL draft. This is uh, one I I found disturbing this season. The NFL and the NFLPA issued a statement uh, yesterday responding to allegations that their randomized performance-enhancing drug testing programs specifically target Carolina Panther safety Eric Reed. Reed, who documented his tests on Twitter, stated that he was tested seven times in 11 weeks. His quote, I've been here 11 weeks. I've been drug tested seven times, he said in mid-December. That has to be statistically impossible. I'm not a mathematician, but there's no way that's random. Well, uh, it's unreal that they did this. Well, they put out a joint statement. We take any claim questioning the integrity of our collecting, uh, uh, collectively bargained performance-enhancing drug policy seriously, the statement said. We asked the independent administrator of the policy to review and produce a report on the claims of targeting. A copy of the report, which contains personal and confidential testing information, has been provided to Mr. Eric Reed. We will not breach any player's confidentiality. There is no evidence of targeting or any impropriety in respect to the selection of testing. Seven times in 11 weeks? I mean, excuse me, wouldn't you think that's unusual? Some days you wonder. In fact, I'm wondering more and more every day. All right. Tomorrow's show will be in Lincoln. As Penn State gets ready to take on Nebraska, thanks to Merrill Reese, Neil Riddell, and to Ricky Ricardo. Today's show brought to you by Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Key Routes 11 and 15, and Hummel's Wharf on News Radio 1070 WKOK.